very happy to be back in Canada again, back in Winnipeg for my second visit ever here, the first one having come about 15 years ago. Um, it's, um, I can't really say that I know this congregation at all, although I did have that one visit here. And when you don't know a group of people, it's hard to decide what to talk about. What, what should I preach on? In my own uh, congregation where I speak every week, I just start at the beginning of a Bible book and I keep preaching until I get to the end of the book. Sometimes it takes a couple of years, but I get there eventually. And then we choose a new book and we move on. But um, not knowing the people, what shall I talk about? I uh, usually, when I visit a place just once like this, I look up uh, what the reading is in the lectionary. I usually check the Revised Common Lectionary, which is a uh, list of texts, basically just um, four, four readings, two from the Old Testament and two from the New Testament assigned for each Sunday of the year. And you have heard two of those four read to you already this morning, one from Malachi and one from Luke. There also would have been a reading from the epistles and uh, one from the Psalms for this Sunday. I find that uh, an awful lot of people know a little bit about the birth of Jesus. They get it all kind of mixed up with this guy in a red suit, and and uh, they get the, the the wise men showing up way too soon, and, and they get it mixed up a bit, but they know a little bit about his birth, and they have heard a little bit about his death and his resurrection, but for the most part, they're a little confused about what happened in between and why it happened. And they have trouble relating the different parts of Scripture together and, and understanding how the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament and what we call the New Testament, how those things relate together. And what that coming of the Lord on that occasion really meant. Someone said to me as I was walking in this morning, I hear you're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus. Oh, that's interesting. Behold, he's, he is coming. I don't think the word second was in there anywhere. It's interesting to me how we want to insert the concept that Jesus came once and he's coming again, and that's it. As if, well, where is he the rest of the time? What's he doing the rest of the time? Behold, he's coming. When Malachi said that, he was referring to what we refer to as the first coming. He was referring to his birth there at Bethlehem. But why did he come? And what does that have to do with us on a daily basis? As you go through your tasks this week, whatever those tasks may be, what does that coming and his final coming, what does that have to do with us? Why did he do it? Why did he come? Well, he came as a light. He came as a light. That's what our text in Luke says in verse 32. It says he came as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He came as a light to, to reveal things. You know, I, my eyes are, are blue. My wife's are brown. 
Um, I suppose there's some advantage to having blue eyes. I don't know what it is, though. Because I have read and my personal experience with, with my wife and our children is that blue-eyed people are at considerable disadvantage. I don't see in, as well in the dark as she does. And I can't stand as much sunlight as she can stand. At both ends of the spectrum, I feel like I'm disadvantaged. Um, but, you know, when I have to walk in the dark, I, I really wish there were some light to reveal what it is I may be stepping into or stepping on. I remember one time in our house in the kingdom of Swaziland, um, I went uh, in, in the night. I, I walked into the next room and I didn't want to turn the light on and disturb my wife. But thankfully, there was enough light coming in from the window that it revealed the fact that there was a scorpion on the floor. And I was awfully glad for that light revealing that. What did Jesus come for? We came, he came as a light to the Gentiles and thus he fulfilled a long chain of prophetic in utterance saying that he would come. Because God who created all the peoples in all places, is not properly honored by just one nation. It's supposed to be everybody worshiping him. And so he had said way back when he called Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. His coming to Bethlehem as light for revelation to the Gentiles is pointing clear back at least that far and maybe even further to God saying, I'm going to bless all nations through somebody who's coming. Also, Isaiah 49, verse 6, one of my favorite uh, passages. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. And we read that and we immediately think of our Lord and we should. I think it is talking about him. But, you know, it's not just talking about the Jesus that walked in Galilee over 2000 years ago. It's talking about the body of Christ today. I know that I say that with confidence because in Acts chapter 13, verse 47, the apostle said for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. That verse from Isaiah that when we read it in Isaiah, we immediately think, oh, this is predicting Jesus. It's not just predicting Jesus' earthly life. It's predicting his spiritual life through his body, the church. We are commanded. I have made you Plural, in this case, a light to the Gentiles. Jesus came that he personally would be a light to the Gentiles, a light of revelation to help them to understand and to see the things that really matter in life. And he intends for his church to continue to be that light. But he not only was a light to give revelation to the Gentiles, it also says in verse 32 of Luke 2, and for glory to your people Israel. In coming as a light to the Gentiles, it's also 
bringing glory to the people of Israel. Now that one stumped me for a moment when I thought about it. What what Simeon is saying here, you know, I can really rejoice and get excited about the idea that Jesus, both in his own person and through his church, through his body, the church, brings light to people and revelation to people. But how glory to Israel. What is the glory of an object? Let alone a people. Let's just talk about things for a moment. What is the glory of... of, If you own a car, uh, it may have a nice stereo in it. Most of us have like to listen to music as we drive, so we have a nice stereo in a car. Uh, Sherry and I were blessed a few years ago... uh, some car that somebody had bought and not used much, and he'd had it for an awful lot of years, but not used it much at all, and we were able to buy it real cheap, and it has really comfortable leather seats. Maybe you have comfortable leather seats in your car. Maybe your car also has other fancy things, but air conditioning. Many people have air conditioning in your car, although here in Winnipeg you may not need that, but a week or two out of the year, I, you know... You certainly don't need it today. Your car probably has a heater. I'm pretty confident it has a heater in it. But what if the wheels won't go round? What if a car won't fulfill the primary purpose of a car, which is transportation, I think? It can be comfortable as it can be. It it may be more comfortable than your lazy boy chair in your house. You might have a better stereo than you have in your home. It might have a nice heater. But if the wheels won't go around, if it won't take you anywhere, it would seem that that car is kind of a failure, isn't it? It's not fulfilling its main purpose. What is the glory of a vehicle? The glory of a vehicle is to get its job done, to get me from point A to point B in relative comfort and with decent speed. And what was the point of Israel? The point of anything, glory for any object or any person or any nation is to fulfill their purpose. And the purpose of Israel was they had been called by God to glorify him by bringing light to the nation. And they hadn't historically done a real good job of it. But in Christ, they were going to start doing a much, much better job of it. And thus, Jesus came to bring the light of revelation to the Gentiles and to bring glory to Israel in that they would be accomplishing their purpose. And Israel, called to glorify God by bringing light to the nations, is finally going to accomplish that purpose, and it is not going to be a pleasant experience for all Israelites. In fact, it's going to be rather traumatic for the nation of Israel. Many of them would not heed him. And yet God was going to go and fulfill his purpose through them anyway, even though they weren't listening and weren't obeying. Which brings us to our next point. He not only came as a light, he came with a dividing sword. Verses 34 and 35, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts will be 
revealed. Simeon's figure of speech is a sword. The Old Testament reading from Malachi used a different figure of speech, but it expressed the same idea. Malachi said, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi. Israel was not going to find his coming an entirely pleasant experience. Have you ever had uh, an unpleasant experience? Say, maybe when you visited the dentist. We used to live in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and at the time I had a a small business delivering packages, um, and I got to know just about all the dentist offices in town because I would deliver uh, toothbrushes or dental floss or rubber gloves or whatever to them. And uh, I used to think about the wisdom of uh, going into the dental business when your surname is Yankovich. I always figured that if I was going to go to a dentist on that street, I would not go to Dr. Yankovich. I would go to Dr. Kinder. Dr. Kinder sounded like a better dentist to me than Dr. Yankovich. But in, in fact, I never went to either one of them to get any dental work done. Dr. Yankovich may have been a fine dentist, and you know, sometimes the tooth does need to be yanked. Sometimes it's got to be done. It may not be a pleasant experience, but it's what we need. He came with a dividing sword or with fuller's soap, with refiner's fire. We need to be refined. Jesus would be insanely popular for a little while when he first began his ministry. When he was passing out free meals, he was crazy popular there for a little while. John chapter 6, verse 15, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. They were going to make him king. You know, there's an interesting uh, teaching that gets kicked around occasionally in, in certain churches that says that, you know, Jesus came to set up an earthly kingdom the first time and the Jews rejected him and didn't want him for their king. And But when he comes back the second time, he's going to set up that earthly kingdom that he meant to set up the first time, but they rejected him, which ignores, it. well, it takes the facts and stands them on their head, doesn't it? They were wanting to make him king. He didn't want to be that kind of king. He avoided that. He withdrew again to the mountain by himself because they wanted to make him king. He didn't want to be the kind of king they had in mind. And he began to talk to them about their attitude. And he began to talk to them about their emphasis on physical food and material things. And the result was that many of the disciples turned and went back and walked with him no more. Jesus came to make a difference in our lives. And sometimes that difference is going to be painful. He himself said in Matthew uh, chapter 
10, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. He doesn't want it to stay that way, but sometimes it has to be that way for a while in our lives. I knew a, a brother in Nigeria. Um, he, I didn't see him often. He lived in, in Joss, which was a long ways north of where we lived. But he occasionally uh, came down to Okwibum State where we lived. And um, he was um, telling us about a situation when, when he got married. Um, you know, he really believed what the scriptures say about a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. He really believed that. And you realize that that is not the situation in many cultures. That's not the way it's looked at. Rather, in many, many places, people say a woman shall leave her father and mother and go join her husband's family and become part of that family. And but he believed he was supposed to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And, and he was cleaving to his wife a little bit too much for his mother's taste. And his mother got angry with him one day and she said, she said to him, uh, you're more devoted to your wife than, I, than you are to me. And you know what he said to her? You're absolutely right. And that's the way it's going to be. Because that's what scriptures teach. And that was painful. But you know what? After that, things got a lot better. Things got a whole lot better when she realized what she had been expecting was a cultural expectation from the way she grew up rather than what the Bible teaches about marriage. And once that was presented to her, she was a Christian, too, and she took it to heart. And she realized, well, you know, that's right. That is what the Bible says. He still loved her. He still took care of her as she grew older, but he just had to make it clear that, look, this is the way it's going to be. Some of the division that has to take place, we lose friends when we become Christians, some of us. Uh, some of us, when we stand up for what the scriptures actually teach, may even lose friends in terms of some of the people who claim to be Christians, but don't really want to follow what the Bible has to say. But generally, if we'll have the courage to do that, that dividing sword, like that surgeon's scalpel, turns out to be a blessing in the, wrong, in the long run. And it makes everybody healthier in the long run. He came as a light for revelation and a light for glory. He came as a divide, with a dividing sword. And he came to redeem he came to redeem us so that our offering might be acceptable. When Simeon spoke the words there in Luke 2 to uh, Joseph and Mary, they were at the temple and they were at the temple that day to make the poor person's um, offering to redeem a firstborn son. Exodus chapter 13, every firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you do not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of a man among your sons, you shall redeem. You have to redeem your firstborn sons. And if you are able to, you were supposed to do that by offering a lamb. 
Joseph and Mary couldn't afford a lamb. When, when our Lord came to this earth, he didn't come middle class. Um, if he'd ever flown in a plane, he would have flown coach. Maybe standby. Uh, lower than that, if there were such a thing as lower than that. He came poor, and they offered um, the poor man's sacrifice to redeem their son. But in reality, Jesus did not need to be redeemed any more than he later needed to be baptized. He didn't need to be redeemed. He came to redeem us. Because everything we do is flawed. Our best worship, our best service is flawed. If we have all that snow that some people are predicting tonight and tomorrow morning you get up and rush over to your neighbor's house and shovel their driveway and their walk for them, is that a good deed? Well, of course that's a good thing. That's a kind thing to do. But what if all the time you're doing it, or maybe not all the time you're doing it, but maybe just as you're finishing up, it crosses your mind, well, I sure hope somebody notices me doing this. You see, even our good deeds are flawed, aren't they? We're sinners. We're sinners through and through, and and even our best worship and our best deeds are flawed by mixed motives and by wandering attention. Have you heard everything I said today, or did you so far, or have you missed a word or two here and there? Of course, don't worry about it. You really don't need to hear every word I say. Most of them aren't all that important when you boil it all down, as long as you get the main point. But our attention wanders, our, our motives are mixed, we're flawed. So how can sinners like us, how can we make offerings to God that are acceptable when we ourselves are flawed? How can the offerings of sinful people be acceptable to a perfect God? He was not in need of redemption, but we sure are. Again, from Malachi, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and in former years. Once the sons of Levi were refined and purified and redeemed, then their offerings could be acceptable. And later in Luke chapter 2, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, also came up after Simeon did. And um, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem needed to be Redeemed, and we need to be redeemed. We need to be purified. For many years, we lived in areas where the water supply was quite dangerous. You know, it was a it was a contradictory thing. You need water for life, and yet if you drink that water, you're probably going to die. You had to purify the water first before drinking it. Or the water that was supposed to bring you life would bring you death. We need to make offerings to God. That's important. We need to do that. 
But we need to be purified first before we do that, because otherwise the offering we make to God may be an insult rather than a blessing. Just as the waters of the earth have become contaminated, cleansing is needed before they can serve their intended purpose. So we have become contaminated. We cannot fulfill our purpose. We cannot give glory to God the way we're supposed to until we have first been redeemed. He came to bring light. He came also to separate. And he came to redeem. And he is coming again. He is coming again. His redeeming work is done. He won't be doing that again. In that final coming of Jesus, he'll not be repeating his trip to Golgotha to hang on that cross. That part's done. But he is coming again for that final and great coming, but he is also present now. He's in this assembly, seeking entrance into our hearts, seeking to purify seeking to redeem, seeking to bring light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came to his own people, but they didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, but the, or the will of man, but of God. The Lord came, and he's coming again, but he's also present now. And we need to submit to him so that he can redeem us, and we can be those people who glorify him the way he should be glorified. If you would respond to that today, you could see one of the church elders, or you could come down front even if you wish now as we stand and sing.